Welcome to The Hammer and Quill, a Bonhoeffer House podcast exploring the good, the true, and the beautiful in the lives and the vocations of interesting people, friends of ours. This is episode eight, a bonus episode. Uh, this is a bonus episode of conversation with our friend Charles Wilson, local pastor, church planter in Roanoke, on how to respond to racial injustice. You know, this podcast, The Hammer and Quill, is all about the good, the true, and the beautiful. We're, we're, we're trying to really uh, listen to and pay attention to what Paul says in Philippians 4.8 about focusing on the true, the honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent things. But this week has had less of those things, right? It's had less of the good, the true, and the beautiful in our land. We've been confronted with the news and the video of Ahmad Arbery being chased down, confronted, shot dead in the middle of the road, in the middle of the afternoon, in a suburban neighborhood outside of Brunswick, Georgia. And man, what a what a uh, what a awful, shocking thing to to see and to know is happening uh, right here, right? Right here. And so one thing that happens whenever we're confronted by news of injustice, whenever we see something like this, uh, oftentimes we don't know what to do, especially when it happens somewhere else. Uh, when it, What do we do? How do we respond? How, how do we, as Christians, how do we respond when we see injustice happening, when we see racial injustice happening in our nation. So we wanted to get together as three pastors and friends in our region here in Southwest Virginia and discuss this, to have a conversation. How do we respond to racial injustice? What can we do? Now, before we dive in here, first, I want to say to our listeners, this is a conversation toward a Christian response. We're going to do it. This is kind of a behind the scenes conversation. We hope helps you to think and act Christianly both right now and when you when you hear of injustice in the future, when you see injustice in the future, this is not a finished product, just a conversation that we wanted to invite you into. Charles and Michael, thank you for joining us here. Hey, talk about what it was like for you guys this week to see what happened to Ahmad Arbery. When I first saw the picture and I started hearing it, uh, I immediately went to uh, the news to make sure it just wasn't a Facebook thing. Um, and I didn't find anything actually, which made me think, well, maybe this isn't real. Maybe this didn't happen. And how long ago um, was that? Maybe. Go ahead. How long ago was that? Uh, it was probably the day after the video came okay. out. Um, when it started posting on Facebook, people that I know started posting it, sharing it and talking about it. Uh, and, and you know, I, you, when I see stuff like this or anything, that's a little, big like the, the hornet the, the the bees that are here to kill us now uh, <laughs> because we we live in um what seems to be like a, a what's that movie with mockingjay uh yeah hunger games uh, oh, hunger yeah. games is like the, the world's turning into hunger games so i always go check to make sure it's it's not fake and once uh, i saw other news places uh releasing it and talking about you know the people who had the video uh, my immediate thought was just heartbroken um, especially when I began to read the details, wasn't surprised, um, you know, but I, but it was one of those things where it's like, you know, these things happen, they happen all the time. Some of them get more publicity than other things, but then reading the details of how extreme and horrible, uh, this event was, um, it was just very heartbreaking. 
my wife is in the middle of working on something. So I hate having to bring up these conversations at home because we do it all the time. Mm. And so I just know the whole process and the weightiness of it in our household. And so I actually, we didn't talk about it till yesterday, actually. And she had, she knew about it by that time, but I've been doing stuff here at the church. She's been working on website. And so, yeah, it's just kind of re-entering in into that and then you know, doing it as a community because most of the people I know are, you know, um, all over, you know, who are processing this and just kind of reading their hurt. And um, it was, it was very, I, I would probably say heartbreaking and sad, I guess, to at first reading it, seeing what's happening and um, just kind of leaning into it. Yeah. You know, you mentioned something there that you were heartbroken, but not surprised. And uh, I was thinking about how yesterday I sat down with my kids and, and, and my wife, Jenny, and we talked about what happened. And, um, and I just shared, I just kind of, I, I didn't show my kids the video, but I, I essentially, I told them what happened. I, I explained what happened. And, um, and they were heartbroken and surprised. And, and you could kind of tell that for them, it was like, what in the, why is it this way? Um, and I didn't think about it until you just said, but not surprised that, uh, that's a, that's a kind of privilege for us and our family to not, this is the first time we're having this conversation. We're not, um, you know, this is a surprise to my kids to, to think that yeah. th- this could happen. Like someone could be running down the road and just this could happen to them. Uh, yeah. and, and so, so that's just something I, I, I'm, I'm noticing listening to your story of, of how you experience this is that, uh, it's, it's still surprising to me and yeah. my kids. But yeah. okay. I, yeah. So I do remember growing up and being surprised of hearing of different things. I remember, I think there was an incident in Texas where the guy was drugged behind the pickup truck. And back in those days, growing up north, I was very surprised that people, um, one, could do things like that in the public space and think that it's okay. I, I, so, and so it, it was surprising back then when I was growing up. And then I, kind of, I guess, got introduced to the world at large and not just my context. And yeah, so I do remember a time where I was surprised. Though I grew up, you know, in a black community, black neighborhood, I would hear different things. But I went to a predominantly white school and people, for the most part, I was treated fairly. And so I did have this argument in my head from what I was learning in my community, what I was seeing, you know, in school and, and on my soccer team and how people treated me. Um, and hearing from people in my community, different things about racism and, and all that. But my experience was a little different yeah. until I became an adult. And then, you know, things changed a little bit. Hmm. Michael, how about you? What was your experience like this week? Yeah. Um, I think, I think hearing you talk about, you know, the, the, the difference of heartbroken, but surprised, um, fits, pretty well with my experience, uh, as well. And, and not necessarily a surprise that it happened, um, which sucks to say. (laughs) Um, but, uh, but I think a, a surprise that there was no, uh, there was no arrest, a surprise that there was no, uh, you know, plan for a, a trial surprise that, 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 the wheels of justice weren't turning whatsoever. Um, 
that was more the surprise for me. Um, right. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't as though they just saw the same video we saw this week, right? They had the video. They, they saw what happened. It wasn't until a bunch of us, a bunch of people, uh, it wasn't until it became public that they, they, yeah, that, that's not only surprising to me. It's, 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 I don't even know the word, like it's sickening. It's, it's really disheartening. Um, uh, yeah, you know, uh, I don't, I don't want to imagine, uh, and I think, I think I, I think I might've even said something about this on, uh, social media or something, but, but I, I don't want to imagine a world where, where that kind of, uh, you know, systemic institutional injustice exists where, where that kind of corruption to, to that degree exists. That, that is, I mean, it's just baffling to me. And so, um, yeah, that was the part when I was, when I was sharing with my kids, what happened and talking through the whole thing, we got, we got about three quarters of the way through the story. And then my older kids were like, but they arrested the guys, right? Right. And it was like, yeah. no, no, they actually didn't arrest the guys. And they were like, what? How could yeah. they not arrest them? Uh, and, and it's challenging to have to answer that question. How could they not arrest them? Yeah. Right. Well, they were, they were two white men and a, who, who were connected to the government, government who had one of whom had worked as a police officer, as someone in the DA's office. And so, and it's just it, how hard, it's basically hard to just say, it was wrong, but that's just what happens. And, and I think that's an important part of it is I, I think it was yesterday before I was reading it on uh, CNN. I, I try to scan through all the news feeds. I want the liberal side. I want the conservative side. I want the, you know, the out of the country view of what's happening in the country. And, but from on the left side, you know, they were very descriptive. This guy wasn't, you know, an ex retired police officer. But then on the conservative side, it said nothing about him being a police officer. Ah. And I know in my experience with some of my great friends who are police officers that have looked the other way, helped me um, stay out of trouble, give me some advice ahead of time, what that did for me or my family in different situations. And I definitely, there is no question in the midst of this, um, we can make, you know, and I know people are going to make it all these crazy different things, but we, we know in that moment, there's definitely going to be benefit of the doubt given. And it, I was thinking last night when I laid down in my bed that those guys went home and laid down in their bed mm. that night and the next night, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And this week when we saw that video, they were sleeping in their bed. Um, and part of that is definitely their, their relationships and their connections. You, you, I mean, there's just no way. Yeah. Now, Charles, what about with your kids? You've got a couple sons. Uh, did you process this with them at all? So, no, I haven't. With this situation, we have not. Um, and we've had these conversations for years, especially when they begin to drive, just what their experience is going to be um, with their friends. You know, they went to you know private school and then they went to public schools. Um, and it was they were definitely the minority. And for my 21-year-old, when he when a lot of the shootings were happening, especially the shootings in Dallas, and we were processing that as a family, I, I, 
it wasn't that real to him. I, you know, he, I don't think he really understood it completely for what it was until he went to school. When he went to Liberty, uh, he came home, I think after the first year, completely um, having, like we, we had a full out conversation about this is where he uh, learned about the injustice. And we were like, son, you know, a lot of that happened while you were in Dallas when those experiences were happening. But what happened on campus there was he had, you know, guys in his dorm who had some very, you know, it was definitely around the time of the election. Yeah. It was definitely around the time of, you know, where the school was allowing kids to bring guns on campus and stuff like that. Yeah, because so Char- he, he was far more aware. Yeah, Charlottesville is right up the right up the road from Lynchburg too, right? He was there during that time. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And so, and he, you know, he he's met the president of the school and all that, and so he became more aware that he was black at Liberty, mm. though he mm. went to you know schools before and wasn't really too aware of his blackness before. Man, man, thanks for sharing that. Now, so so here's the question for this conversation: is what can we do? So, um, you know, we we're we're, we're okay. What can we do? How, how do we respond to this? What, uh, you know, what can we do when we're say thousands of miles away or hundreds of miles away? What can we do? Uh, you know, I'm thinking about this for my own self, my own family, our own church, our region. Uh, what what can we do when we are confronted with violence, with racial injustice, with racism? Uh, and so, so I, I thought we could, we could offer some thoughts moving forward. Um, yeah. So, so one thought that I had that I wanted to throw out there and and just see what you guys think about this is I think, I think one thing that we can do is when, when we're not confronted with the news, right? So when it's not just like, boom, this is, this is, this is all over the place. I got to figure out what to do with this. But in the times where we're not confronted with it, when we're just, you know, the, a part of normal life, which at least for me as a, as a white evangelical guy, uh, a lot of times I, I don't, I'm, I don't have, I'm not confronted with it. Uh, I was thinking, man, one thing that we need is we need better theology. So let me, let me tell you what I mean. And then I'd love to hear what you guys think about this. Um, we need better theology because racism, I think, is in part bad theology, right? Or, or racism thrives where theology is weak. And what I mean by that is um, if you believe, so for instance, I was in a conversation with people recently where uh, we were debating about race and justice and the gospel and their response to, to why we, we don't celebrate multi-ethnicity Right, I was pressing for man. We should be we should really be celebrating multi ethnicity. We should be thinking about how our churches can become more representative of our communities. Right, we, I'm not. I wasn't even pushing for beyond that. Just you know, let's let's represent the communities where we live. Um, let's let's demonstrate to the watching world what it looks like to to have a kind of um, a gumbo. You know, a kind of uh, multi ethnic um, you know people. And, and their response is, we, we don't celebrate what is the result of sin. And I thought, what are you talking, what do you mean? And, and the answer was, well, well, you're talking about Tower of Babel, you're, you're talking about the multiplication of languages, you're talking about the, the mark of Cain, all this sort of stuff started coming out where I just thought, man, you need better theology. Like your, racism is going to breed in a heart that believes that the ethne, the multi-ethnic people 
around the world are a result of the fall or something like that. And and the and the presupposition with that is we all would have been white. I, was, I mean, I I, I'm I, <laughs> to be fair, I'm reading that into it, but but uh, but and so so I just thought, man, some of this is like we need a better theology, right? God created a multi-ethnic people. In in the in the multiplicity of ethnicities in the in the scriptures is actually a created good according to Acts seventeen when Paul is uh, in Athens and he's talking about uh, he's talking about the, the the God who is right he's what he says in Acts seventeen twenty six through twenty seven let me bring it up and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. In other words, he made from every from one man every ethne of mankind, every nation, every ethnic people, to live on the face of the earth, determining their allotted periods from before the foundation of time, right? So, so multi-ethnicity is actually a created good God had in mind from the beginning. We see also in Revelation 5 and Re- Revelation 9 that multi-ethnicity is part of the true, the good, the beautiful of God, plan of God for the new heavens and the new earth, right? It's not as though we all come back together and then we become mono-ethnic uh, or, or white. Uh, a few other things, sin, man, so uh, when we talk about systemic sins or systemic evils, um, I, I don't, Help me out here. I don't understand how I can believe in something like total depravity, which I do believe in. Uh, and not believe that systems can be and are uh, sinful because systems are made up of people and people are sinners, right? And when you get people together, you you can you can see how the the sin can become uh, compounding. Uh, let me just run through a couple more, and then I'll I'll just I'll, I'll well, oh, go ahead. Well, help me with this. Tease out that for I, I'm tr- I'm trying to figure out what that person was saying. So, give sim- simplify what they were trying <laughs> to say. What exactly? Is their view okay? So uh, God also, is. Yeah, go ahead. How how many people do you think hold that? Way more that than seems, you think. Way more than you think. Really? All right. Well, keep I mean, going. I so I think I agree that a lot of people have that. I I need to hear a little more of like what were they trying to say? Don't strive for that. Yeah. Basically, um, uh, their argument is. Churches are focusing too much on multi-ethnicity based on some random verse in Revelation 7, when we really should be focused on preserving the truth, proclaiming the gospel. And, 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 and in my opinion, well, we'll get around to the gospel here in a second, but uh, one particular view of the gospel as um, substitutionary atonement and personal individual justification yeah, by yeah. faith. Um, so that's kind of the argument that... Uh, that there's too much talk, too much focus on multi-ethnicity and racial justice, uh, too much focus on it, not enough on the gospel. Um, the multiplicity of the ethnes are a result of the fall, a result of sin. Um, and so my response is, man, you need better theology. You need to see that the multiplicity of the ethnicities of the nations is actually part of God's good plan from the beginning and part of his plan to reconcile all things in one people. Well, can I can I give a little yeah. response to that too? Yeah, um, please. A lot of a lot of what we see, especially with our churches, is the result of intentionally 
separating people from people. A lot of our communities yeah. are created around separating people from people. But let's just talk about the church since they're saying there isn't enough focus on the gospel. Uh, a lot of our resources and our funds and our church planting resources goes towards planting churches in areas that definitely exclude people who are marginalized because no one's planting churches in tough areas. Uh, so there's just there's so much intentionality around creating homogenous environments. So, so how do we get to a place where our churches look more like our communities if we are if we are not intentional? And so, what they're saying is, ignore the reality of what is, and and just focus on this, which is silly because if you're not going to the doctor and saying, "Hey, doc, my leg is bothering me," oh, you're you're putting too much attention on your leg. I mean, it's just that silly. Like, just think about like, it. You no, got you another need- leg. Right. Exactly. Like you need to focus on the health of your whole body. Like that's silly. If you see something's blatantly out of step or broken, yeah. that like the, like the, like I, I agree with them. For instance, our church plant is a church plant that focuses on um, being multicultural, multi-ethnic, but that isn't our main driver. It, the way I would describe it is it's the car seat in the car. It, it's, it's, it's packed into what we do. There's no way that we can ignore it because we're looking at the context where the gospel is needed and this conversation must happen. And so we're going to have it at the same rate. I would say to them, I'm very troubled when I hear my brothers and I listen to them in my community preach through acts and preach through some very challenging um, parts of acts where the, where you have to almost like be a gymnast to ignore the ethnic conversation that's happening. And they do it very well. And I love them and they're very solid. But they do, they dance around parts where naturally this comes out, but it's ignored. And so what it does is it creates this environment where like, well, it sounds like, you know, Jesus was in America when he did all these things. (laughs) And the people he was engaging with were just all American people, (laughs) which is ridiculous. And this is where we continue this. And so that's, Sorry, it just kind of uh, preach, and, and 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 you're coming at this as from a kind of uh, missiologist perspective too of like how can we actually reach our neighborhoods with with this with this faulty theology and this faulty practice and I love it and I to- I mean yeah that's that's I'm I'm with you I need to find that applause and, I mean, button was a look so look at yeah, you know, well. just look at Ro- let's just look at Roanoke right Roanoke is a, a very segregated community. If you look at all the church plants that come in that are solid Bible teaching church plants, people who will say, and, and if, I, I won't use some of the slogans, but they will definitely have this, we are for Roanoke type of attitude. It's not true. You're just for the parts of Roanoke that you like and will create a very fast flourishing church plant. But if you really looked at, if you watched the news for one week and then you looked into the Bible and then you asked God, God, where should we plant a church in this city? It probably wouldn't, if you're listening to him, it probably wouldn't be where it made sense because it's going to be in a challenging part of the community. Mm. So what do I do? Ignore? Do I ignore, you know, the ethnic part of that? Of course not. The, the, the gospel has something for that. And so I'm, Amen. I'm done. Amen. Amen, man. Yeah. So, uh, so another thing that I think is challenging is uh, theologically is um, I hear this from my white brothers and sisters all the time that like I didn't personally do anything wrong. Like, why should I feel bad? Why should I uh, do anything? I'm not. I didn't do anything wrong. I I have I didn't um, 
you know, I didn't do an injustice. I didn't own anybody. I didn't, I, I haven't, I haven't used a racial slur. I'm not. Um, and, and so, and I think there's a, actually a theological answer that is, is missing. And it's a theological answer of a, of corporate responsibility that culturally we are, we actually are connected. And so, uh, and, and we see this in the scriptures, uh, in Joshua seven, it tells a story of this dude's, uh, what is he, uh, does he steal something? I think he steals something and they stone his whole family, right? Where you see this, this kind of thing of like, you belong to each other. And so, yeah, well, you didn't do it. And so to us as individualistic, uh, hyper-individualistic Western, uh, you know, people, it's really hard, especially for us in the, in, in the white majority culture, man, it's hard for me to even comprehend why that would be fair, but it's fair. God does it. That's that's a fair. Uh, he's holding that family responsible corporately for something that one person does, and and in and in in across the world that makes sense. But to us, it doesn't really make sense. Probably in the black community, it makes more sense, I would guess, than it does in the majority community. Uh, of course, the the key, you know, there's David and Goliath. There's a sort of corporate responsibility on the flip side of when David wins, we all win. Uh, but yeah. then, and then of course, Romans five talks about this corporate responsibility that is at the very heart of the gospel that, uh, if not for a, a sense, a sort of corporate responsibility, we wouldn't be, we, well, number one, we wouldn't be carried along with that, with our first parents responsible in some sense for their sin, but also we wouldn't gain what we gain in Christ, the yeah. second Adam, the true and better Adam. And so, uh, and so, so I, I think, man, we got to, there's a theological robustness missing when we don't, when we when we don't understand that there actually is a sense of corporate responsibility now, now, which means that when uh, when my culture perpetuates sin, I can at least lament, I can at least yeah. pray. That that's that's what as you were sharing, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, man, we love we love the idea of corporate responsibility when we talk about Jesus, um, one man taking the blame for all of us. Um, but I, 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 I think even in the midst of what you're saying, Jesse, there, there's, there is a, a corporate sense to what our, our, our culture's evils are, are our evils. And, and I think there's even a, a personal confession that we can participate in, um, uh, you know, I, I think there's a way that both personally and corporately we can confess for those cultural sins. Um, you may not have uh, said like uh, racial slurs, but but you you have lived in in fear of someone. Um, you have I I have uh, I've I've lived in fear. I've lived in arrogance. I've I've hated my brother. Um, you know, there's, I think there's things that we can confess. Um, and there's things that we can repent of that, that, that perpetuate those, those cultural sins, those cultural evils. Um, and then we can, like you said, uh, lament that reality that, man, I I do have a role in this and, uh, and, and it's ugly and it's sad. It's my short answer would be almost if we can't recognize that we have all benefited, um, 
off the backs of other people, of them either being marginalized or um, taken advantage of. We can't see that and think that we're innocent um, and we just go on with our lives and we can't look back and go, dang, um, you know, these people were not afforded opportunity intentionally. Um, these people were avoided. I think, and, and to that person, whoever that is, I sit right now in the middle of a building that was built in uh, 1920, 1930. The sanctuary was built in 1940. The education building was built in 1960. They left this community in 1978. This church, thriving church, left the community because black people moved into the community. Uh, that is not um, a gospel move. And so that was an intentional move to get away from a group of people that they felt wasn't their people. There was no strategy or no plan to witness to those people. It was just, we, this, this, these aren't our people. If the, that, that is a step, an intentional step of the church moving away. There has to be intentional steps moving back into proximity with people. And here's what, what I might, in, in a practical example, uh, I was standing out front working on the building. A guy walks up to me. He has on a um, hat. It's a Marine hat. I always notice Marine hats because my dad's a Marine. Um, on one side, it says Trump. In the middle, it says Sons of the Confederacy. And then on the other side, it's just a Confederate flag. And so he stares. He walks right up to my face, just stares at me. I, I'm from the North, so I have no idea what's about to happen. And the guy just starts asking me questions about what's happening at the building. And so I start sharing with him, you know, pastor, we're planning a church. We're bringing the church back. We have probably an hour conversation, the most beautiful conversation about his beliefs of being um, in the Sons of the Confederacy, um, his view on the church. He was baptized in this building, and his view was the church leaving was one of the worst excuses for the church. He still lives in the community. He's heard about our church and how part, part of our heart is what happened in Charlottesville, and we're, we're planning a multicultural, multi-ethnic church, and he says he plans to come to the church, and he loves what we're doing. Now, do we agree on all of our views on you know what what happens to monuments and all that stuff? Of course not. Do we agree on his views of you know this is my heritage and I'm looking like well for me when I see this I think that no the guy walks this was like two weeks ago he walked in yesterday he's been looking for stuff for me he wants to help me we plan to have coffee all the time uh, this is a step and so yeah. for that person who says. We should just be doing, you know, we should just be saying this and, and being firm with orthodoxy, but not taking st intentional steps for the proximity of the gospel to be real. It's, it's silly and it's hurtful. Honestly, it's pretty hurtful to say that because if that was the case, then why would I be here? You know what I'm saying? Like Jesus is pushing us to do that intentionally. Amen. Amen. And what And what's so beautiful about that picture is... Uh, that doesn't have to be a response to a um, a news story, right? That's that's a picture of moving in proximity, embodied embodying a kind of um, uh, well love and uh, embodying a gospel response to your neighbor, just on a on a Wednesday, right? Like that's right, yeah, right. yeah. And, that, and so I guess we I know we're going to move into. Um, what can we do? And I would say for me, what's credible is people who are already doing things like that. Like mm. a few minutes ago, you guys saw the guys come in. Yeah. Um, these are guys from the community. The one guy I've been talking to, he's, he tells me his story of how he got went to jail for 20 years for something he didn't do, but because of his poverty, because of where he was, he couldn't afford a lawyer and they made him take a deal that he shouldn't have taken. Mm. And so 
I'm on I'm on the phone with his public defender today because he's going to go back to jail and I'm trying to work something out with him doing community service so that he can have an opportunity. And when I shared with him, listen, and he's a Muslim and I shared with him, I, I'm not judging you and viewing you on what you've done. We're going to create a relationship from here. Then the dude confesses all of his all of his sins and everything he's done to me. I mean, done done to me sitting here. And then he starts crying because I said, we're starting a relationship from today. And he's saying, I've never been in a place where someone is, would do that. And he, this is what he said to me. I was praying last night and the Lord shared with me that, that that's how you were going to respond to me. So now I'm having a relationship with this guy on the ground who who knows a little about Jesus, but he's not a follower of Jesus. He's, he brings me all of his paperwork as an electrician. Um, he, he wants to come to our church. Um, he has never felt someone defending him before. And I have this beautiful opportunity now, not only for him to come worship with us, but for him to sit next, right next to my brother, Robert, who's from the Sons of the Confederacy, who actually believed this church shouldn't be empty because black people moved in. Like, like how do you do that without being intentional? Amen. Yeah, and that, so so that's the thing, right? These like that's something that's happening this week with me reaching out to his public defender. Um, you know, KB, the the Christian rapper, has this thing like we were woke before the phrase. Like, like it isn't because these things are happening. Like this is the things that we're compelled to do yeah. because of who we are. And so those are activities that these are the types of things we should have been about, not because this happened today, but I should be trying to help a guy who is trying to 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 get his head above water a little bit and having someone who will listen to him and sit with him it it doesn't happen um if we're not intentional that's good and and in some ways there's uh there's a difference between responding to this sort of news in a virtue signaling kind of way like um look at me i'm i'm posting something about this there's a difference between that and uh and just living it out like day by day being intentional, being, um, you know, being in relationship with people, being in prayer for people. Um, so man, I really appreciate that. That's, a, that's, that's really helpful. Uh, and I, and I think so much and, of, and, and yeah, I will say ahead. we're, we're watching, right. We, I'm, I'm watching my brothers and yeah. sisters who, who do not what they're doing right now, because I'm not judging you based on your, your tweet, because this happened. I've been watching, you know, <laughs> you step around issues and not speak up. And so, and, and I, and I see it, or I would say we see it. People know that you don't really care. Um, but, but I stay in proximity with you also because yeah. of the same grace that Christ has applied to me. And even when you say things like we shouldn't talk about those things, which hurt me deeply when people say things like that, um, from a privileged seat. Mm. That's right. And you know, uh, the one, the one last thing I want to say theologically, and just I think you guys agree with this, but feel free to jump in, is, is uh, so much of what you're talking about is um, where do we see matters of race and justice, maybe justice in particular, in regards to the gospel? And do we see them as kind of the trailer that the car is pulling? Uh, do we see them as an optional uh, sort of bumper sticker that we, we can choose to put on the trailer or... Or uh, I like the the and I'm using these illustrations because you used the illustration earlier of the car seat locked in locked into the back, right? Like it's it's maybe not the driver behind what you're about at the Hill Church in Roanoke, but it's it's part of the package. And I think I think that we we lack a robust gospel in the American evangelical white world, 
that that has justice uh, in the car, right? We, we it, to to us, it's like it's it's either an implication, which at least at least that's there. It's either an implication or it's an intrusion on the gospel. And I I think I really think we need a better understanding of what the the early church meant when they said euangelion or that which is the greek word for gospel when they when they proclaimed when they gospelized what were they proclaiming uh and i think as we as you read the gospels and you read the the bible uh man it's it's just it is this is a car packed with a lot uh it's not just now it's it's not less than substitutionary atonement or jesus dying as the as the god man in our place bearing the wrath of god that we deserve destined for us Taking it, taking it from us, uh, going into the, going to the cross and into the grave in our place. Uh, it's it's at least that right, so that we we by faith can believe in Him, be justified, be made right with God. But it's more than that too, right? The gospel is the good news that the King has come, and so uh, and so I, I think theologically we we need a we need a better understanding of the fullness and the robustness of the gospel. The King, and you're saying the King has come and He's brought with Him. Uh, uh, you know, Matthew five through seven kingdom. Um, he's, he's brought with him a kingdom that looks a certain way and, and talks a certain way and acts a certain way. Um, is, is that right? Is that what you're saying, Jesse? That's what I'm saying. The king, the king has come when the king came, uh, the king, the kingdom, uh, began to break into this reality. Uh, this, this world that, uh, yeah, sure. Matthew, the sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, um, but, but even like our allegiance now is more than just to our, uh, our president or our country or our, or even our pastor, our allegiance is actually right. to the King who's coming again. Right. Um, okay. Yeah, I hey, struggle with a, yeah, a separate, ahead. I struggle with a set with, if justice isn't, I, I just don't see how, you know, you have a, a full understanding of what Christ has done for you and, um, justifying us if justice isn't a bit in the car in in i don't i don't the car seat would be too small i would say it's a lot bigger than the car seat um, yeah with with when we see things like this um and so that would be my I, I, it's in there and it's a lot it's pretty big and some some of this is is so connected to our um expressive individualistic kind of worldview that in my opinion, because we know as uh, as as white evangelicals, I I know that justice is in is in the gospel, but I the way I view justice in the gospel is, I personally have violated justice. God, the just one, has sent His Son to take the penalty from me and to justify me to to transfer His righteousness to me to give it to me, so that I might be just. You know, you know, I can be seen as just, and I can receive his justification. The the thing that the, so it's not that I don't think it's not that uh, that that the white evangelical kind of uh, struggle with the gospel here is lacking justice. It's that we we uh, man, we're taught a gospel that doesn't have a a kind of um, corporate aspect of justice that doesn't have a a boots on the ground aspect that doesn't uh, that doesn't take into account that. That uh, the second half of Ephesians two, right? Our gospel typically ends at verse nine. I don't, we don't even get to verse ten. So when Nathan tells David the story of what happened and his sense of just being aroused and just furious, 
you can see what he's feeling there. It's, it's the exact same picture that you said your kids were feeling when they heard this story, right? right they right. they understood justice needs to happen swiftly. Yeah, this um, this man deserves to die. Yeah, something needs to happen. Like, yeah. how could this be? <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and so when you, so when I see my brothers who, like, I have a friend in Atlanta who uh, is a planner, and um, he put on his Facebook, he he. Uh, he wanted to hear from his white evangelical brothers. Like he's tired of this conversation. He's exhausted. He just, he just wants to open the mic for his white evangelical friends to just please speak into this and help me with this. I don't want to be the one speaking. And the first guy who said something was, he was so on point with sharing how it was wrong, but then, then the response comes back. And this is where it, it's lacking what your children had. It's lacking what David says. He goes, well, we need to wait and see. Uh, before we make a, a judgment on, you know, what really happened. And to me, it's almost like saying, but after an apology, it's like, I'm sorry for stealing your car, but <laughs> it's like, mm. wait, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> we need to wait yeah. and see, like your, even your children understood this was wrong. Right. And they didn't, Something and they didn't, see, they didn't see the video. Like we, we should, yeah, be, like, yeah, like, we, we should not have to see the video. Yeah. They just got the story. Yeah. And, and, Jesse, as you were, as you were sharing, you know, you, you said it's, it's Ephesians two, eight, but it's missing, you know, it's missing nine and 10. I I think it's not even, it's, it's more than, it's more than just, you know, the Ephesians gospel. Like, I think, I think we love to talk about the old Testament prophets when they are pointing out idolatry. Um, and, and we, we miss the fact that like married married in the old testament prophets is is idolatry and injustice that that both of these things are the are the two main sins of the people of god i mean you've 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 neglected the fountain of living water you've neglected god and you're chasing after other stuff but but then also man let justice roll down uh do do good seek just so all over uh, the the Old Testament prophets. It's both of these things. It's it's you have broken off the relationship you were meant to have with with your God, and you are treating people uh, around you terribly. And and so mm. I I don't I I think we we we're missing not just the you know the latter half of of the the Ephesians passage, but I think we miss really this entire theme. Um, so much of the time uh that's right really throughout the scriptures yeah there's more to isaiah than chapters 7 and 53 yeah <laughs> that's a good word hey so a few other thoughts and then you you guys i'd love to hear your thoughts too you know this has been really helpful for me already talking about uh demonstrating an embodied presence with people pressing in when it's not just news uh but just in in everyday life uh theologically understanding how God has designed things to be multi-ethnic, uh, that re- and that reflects something of, and we didn't even get into this, but uh, the, multi, the multiplicity of people, the, 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 the every tribe, tongue, nation, new creation gathered in the heavens reflects something of a God who is, uh, who is a multiplicity, right? Who is Father, Son, and Spirit from, from eternity for eternity. Anyway, let's move on. So uh, and something else that, that uh, we need to be better at is lamenting. I, I, we don't even have categories for lament, a lot of, a lot of us in the white evangelical world. Um, you know, I know how to lament personally for my sin, uh, 
but I but I didn't grow up with the tools to lament corporately. Uh, we didn't we didn't sing. We were singing. We were like we had like the, you know, the upbeat music all the time. You know, going to church. It, we we're very tri- triumphant. Uh, and so and so I think man, we got to have we we need better tools for lamenting. We've got to be better at lamenting when we say um my you know my thoughts and prayers are with you. We need something better than that. Like. Uh, we, we need to be able to lament. We need to actually be able to, to go into sorrow with our brothers and sisters to, to bear their sorrows together. You guys have thoughts about that? Uh, just, just kind of the, what you just, just said about the kind of the songs, the celebration, the triumphant uh, celebration. Growing up in the African-American context in church, it definitely was more of a tone of coming up the rough side of the mountain and there was more of a surviving and making it through a tough time. But, and, it, and this just kind of goes back to the value in the diverse church is that you get all of that. Yeah. You get a little bit of that. You get a little bit of what, like, I don't, like, I didn't grow up in an environment where it was always mountaintop singing, worshiping, and not really thinking through problems. It, it was definitely more of a groaning environment. It, I, you know, I, now there's a lot of things that we probably have similar, but there's definitely some tones in there that give us a beautiful picture. Once we get together and we experience all that together, that I get some of what you have, you get some of what I had, and we, we get just this clearer, man, there's there's more than just my experience, even as we're serving and following after God. And I need to hear that he can help me through a hard time or he will bring me through. Um, and I, I also need to hear you know, that, man, this is what it's like, man, to be just in his presence without even like being conditioned of, or, or just kind of wallowing in the brokenness and all the pain all the time. This is, this is what it looks like or feels like to be here. And so that's one of my thoughts. I think in my context and, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm speaking to your context a little bit as well, Jesse, but um, I think it's, I think with, with things like this, it's harder to to genuinely lament <clears throat> when when there's not when there's not someone who you are in in a really close relationship with who is feeling uh, the brunt of this, um, and so I, I think a couple of the things that are important because of that are one listening to s- stories uh, like listening to to Charles's story, um, listening to the stories of, of, uh, people who are, are deeply affected and, and really do feel, uh, this in, in like a visceral gut way. Um, maybe if you don't, um, and then I think another thing that, that real is really important is, is imagination. Um, I, I think, I think we need to imagine. Yeah. What do you mean by what that? If, what if this were my brother? Mm-hmm. Um, what if this were my son? What if, what if this were, you know, my friend? Um, I, I think we need to, to go there. Um, and I think we need to really, really try to imagine what, Hey, what if, uh, what if Jesse was out for a run and this happened to him? Um, it, that does something to me that's so, so different, uh, than, than just, reading the story and being like, man, that's sad. Um, but actually, actually imagining, um, and, and, you know, I, I would say 
better than imagining is is having someone close to you who you can you can talk to and, and hear their story. Um, but but for for those of us who who maybe can't, uh, man, your imagination is powerful. I, we 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 relate to the gospel even with our imagination. We we didn't see Jesus crucified, uh, and yet on Good Friday we sit and we imagine uh, what what it was like. Um, for for the nails to be driven into his hands and and for him to breathe his last breath and and I think we need to do the same thing for for uh, our brother Ahmad I I think we need to yeah. you know um I think we need to to enter in yeah you know and, and oh, we don't ahead, do Charles. that well yeah we don't we don't we don't do it well we you know we we don't lean into hard moments we we're we don't even do it at funerals. Sometimes we kind of get quick to the celebration of like, you know, those who die in Christ, you know, we, we, we have more of a reason to celebrate because we'll see him again. But, but there's a real call there to mourn and, and be sad and lament that is beautiful, but we fast forward it and we really don't allow the blessing in that. And it's the same thing in, in times like this. And, you know, back to Michael's point, proximity changes that, 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 you know, that I don't know why that person's uh, statement always keeps coming up in my in my thoughts, but man, imagine being in an environment that's diverse, and something like this happens. There's no way you go to church on Monday, and you just skip past it. You know, yeah. like even your illustrations from your sermon won't. They can't just be Frazier or um, you know Cheers. Like you 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 are going to have to think through things that actually reach the people you're talking. To. Now, are you because are you your su- environment? Yeah. Are you suggesting that, diverse. that we're using we're <laughs> using the sermon illustrations from the TV shows Frasier and Cheers? Well, I'm pretty sure you're using um, some from uh, yeah, you know what it's from. Movies. It's like the Lord of the Rings. Press, press I, okay, chops, yeah, but um, some some movie illustrations <laughs> that people on the block have not seen, and so they are missing what you're trying to bring home yeah. to them. But but here's the thing: majority of the people in your context, though, understand that they've read the book and seen the movie. But a diverse context demands that you actually have to speak to different things and you have to and you have to take more time to think about it because you know people don't agree with you, but you don't want to run them off without even under seeing something from a biblical view. And, yeah. and that's one of the other beauties of a of a diverse church is that not only not only do you have um, the challenge of making sure you're thinking things through, not just from your lens. But you also now have people who are spread out throughout your whole community, not just in one segment, an economic segment of your community, the social economic segment of your community, because you have a diverse church now, right? Like it isn't just the people who live in this zip code. You have people who are in every zip code in your community. And now you actually have more credibility in your city or your community because you're just not those people from there. And all your kids go here or all your kids are homeschooled or all it's 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 far more you reach further actually with that than you do with one second. That's so good. That's so good. The, and even the idea that part of what, part of what helps us lament is proximity, uh, proximity, imagination, you know, even Michael, as you were talking about imagination for, uh, I mean, we, I do this, this is, this is, this happens all the time. You know, when we're singing a song in church, I'm imagining, uh, I think about our good Friday service when we, when we sing uh, a slave spiritual song, were you there? when they crucified our Lord and like, 
you, you, you imagine it and that, and that, yeah. and that leads to lament that's part in, in proximity, you know, uh, so, so helpful. We need to be better at lamenting. We need to pray and fast. Uh, I was thinking about this, Michael, cause we just did a, we just did a podcast interview with Dr. Walter Strickland, uh, a fantastic conversation. So helpful. And he was talking about yeah, going, good. yeah, talking about going through such a, such a hard time in his, in his personal and professional life last year. And hearing his grandmother, who uh, South Side of Chicago marched civil rights, uh, say, "Well, what did you expect?" And yeah. and uh, have you been praying and fasting? And then demonstrating that as a eighty-something-year-old woman is so powerful. And and so when we say, "Well, I'll, I'll be praying for you," uh, we, man, we just got to pray. Uh, it, recognizing that prayer actually does change things. So pr- prayer isn't just like, "Hey, I'm sending good vibes your way." Uh, we we believe that God actually responds to prayer, and so we should be praying, and we should be fasting. Yeah, and that's another great thing with that proximity. Having a grandmother who actually exhibited, I have the same story. My great granny, born 1913 in Georgia, and part of my fuel for going through pain and having and listening to her stories of like the Ku Klux Klan marching down her street, but also watching how she loved all people, <laughs> but she witnessed and went through racism and being attacked and beat up by the kids um, a few communities over and wasn't allowed to go past sixth grade. And yet she, like that, that's one of the anchors in my life is watching her Christianity. Um, and, and, but now I get to help even show that and demonstrate that with, within the people who I'm in proximity with something I learned from an old lady who loved all people and loved Jesus. Amen. Uh, yeah, man. Amen. Yeah, Amen. Man, it, it, I mean, it gives me chills hearing those stories, uh, particularly to hear like, what did you expect? And have you been praying and fasting? Like I, just the, the, the experiential wisdom of, of, you know, those women to then say, Hey, you want to know where the power is? Like, have you been praying and fasting and have you been expecting to, to walk the road of the cross? Um, like, mm. I, I, I don't know how to say it other than like it, it, it gives me chills and, and it's, it's challenging to me and convicting to me. And, and man, I, I, I want my life to be marked by, I, I, I prayed for people I fasted and, and I, I walked into stuff that I knew was going to be hard. Um, so yeah, just really thankful for Walter sharing that story. Thankful for you sharing that story, Charles. So. Yes. Yes. And we, man, prayer and fasting, uh, we need to speak out. Right. So, uh, I think that we saw this in not, not that every, everything this week has been the best, but, uh, we, I, I was thinking about this. We saw the best of what can happen when people unite together to speak out against injustice. Uh, I am. I am. If you if you've ever listened to the Gospel Underground, you know that I'm the, uh, which is the other podcast that I, I help co-host. Um, I'm not really a social media guy. I was off social media for most of the end of 2019, a lot of uh, the beginning of this year. Um, I typically think it's where people go to get worse. Uh, but but this week, um, do, you know, the, do you do you think that they would have pressed charges? Which they, which they have, or, or, or they've they've arrested 
those two men, do you think that would have happened if people weren't speaking out on social media? Like, I don't think so. And so, no. yeah. And so, so even though we, we might sit a thousand miles away or five, 400 miles away or whatever, uh, we might be in a place where, um, you know, we're not, uh, we're not directly connected. We, we can't, we can't actually, uh, petition our own district attorney or we can't, uh, go in, in, in March in that particular neighborhood. Um, we can speak out in a way that puts pressure on, uh, on the, on the government that puts pressure on the justice system that, 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 uh, that unifies and supports our brothers and sisters. So, you know, I think we could do a whole nother podcast on the good and bad ways to speak out. Uh, but, but certainly some of what we can do as far as how we act is we can, we can speak up. Yeah. I would just say quickly for people who want to, you know, are thinking through what to do and when they read something, I think sometimes it is appropriate to say something. Um, if someone puts a, a post up that's ridiculous, I think sometimes it is appropriate. And I think sometimes it's worth ignoring. Um, I don't think each time, you know, I think people do need to hear that there are people who come from the same camp as that person, that they disagree with them and think that they're wrong. Um, so I, so it'd be a little bit of both. I would think it would take some prayer. I don't think the approach is always to ignore it. A lot of it is private conversations on the side, like, Hey, um, yeah, that was not helpful. And please, especially for those in leadership to call people out in their churches and just say, Hey, how did, what, what were you thinking? And how do you think that, you know, helped, um, the conversation and, and what part of that was Christian? You're saying if somebody's posting something, you see it and you're like, Whoa, this is out of bounds. Uh, you don't, right. you don't go after that person in the comments. You call that person up and, and talk about it. Is that, is that right? So I think sometimes you should, okay. um, I think it probably far less than, um, you should, I, I think, you know, out of every 20, maybe one, it depends on the person. Mm-hmm. I don't think every time you need to go in the comment section and add to the chaos, but I think, I don't think also it's appropriate to always ignore it. I think sometimes depending on who you are and the relationship you have with that person, that I think there's a private conversation that should be had. Um, you know, and I've, and I've done this with people, especially like leaders of like, um, that are over different things. I've, I've had some private conversations with them like, Hey, that's not helpful at all. Um, and, and you definitely gotta, you know, it may cost you something. It may cost you those relationships. I don't think every time is a private conversation. Mm. Good, good. Now, uh, so we can speak up, we can speak out, we can pray and fast, uh, we can be better at lamenting. We need better theology. Uh, let me throw something else out there. We, we, we really need to place our hope in the right time and the right place and the right person. A great psalm that covers this idea of looking in the right place for hope is Psalm 121, which says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And really, the idea there is, is as we're ascending to uh, to Jerusalem, as we're um, as we're on this journey together, I won't look to the hills the same way the other nations do. I won't look to the 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 sort of um, typical places to place my hope. I'm going to actually look beyond the hills to the one who sits on, enthroned in heaven, who will certainly come and put all things new and, and remake all things and uh, and bring justice. And so, you know, it's like uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said, the, the, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And that's because our king is coming back and is going to put the world to rights. But we don't know when, we don't know, uh, we do know it can't come quick enough. 
And so, so some of this, I think, is, is, is where is our hope? Is our hope that our nation is going to become uh, the new heavens and the new earth? Because it's not. Like, pe- people are going to be racist. And, and systems are going to be unjust. And they can be, they can be better. Uh, they can be better, but ultimately our hope isn't to the hills. It's not to our judicial system. It's not to our next president. It's our, our, our hope is actually beyond that. And so, uh, we, we, you know, living in that kind of place of hope that we're, I, I do want to be careful that we don't just say to brothers and sisters who are suffering, Hey, get over it. Look up. You're going to be fine one day. And so I think, I think there's a tension here, uh, to walk in that tension. You got, you guys have any thoughts about that? Walking in that tension of hoping beyond the hills, uh, but also longing for justice now. Uh, yeah, I would say, uh, that it is both. I think there is a, there is a sense of that. I, I definitely have this great expectation that one day everything will be right. And, um, the just one will be fully seen and there will be no more, of uh, this brokenness, at the same time, I, I have a, a active, like today I get to roll my sleeves up and take part of what he wants yeah. me to do, um, here, you know, in my context, every day I get to get the sledgehammer out and work at it. Not in the sense that I'm going to make, you know, this utopia, uh, but I definitely am going to lift up Jesus where I'm at. And there was, hopefully there's a lot of people around who will be drawn to him, who will get to know him. Um, I, I know we can't fix everything. But I also think that there is also at the same time this active, continuously working and demonstrating um, and, and, and being his hands and feet every single day. And, and though, like I said earlier, that I expect these things or, you know, it's, I'm, I'm not surprised um, at the same time, it, it, I'm not defeated. You know, I, I, I have this attitude of where I'm, I don't. I don't, I don't want to spend an awful lot of time to, as for it. And it's just, this is just focused towards Christians. I don't, I'm not going to spend an awful lot of time to convince you to care about the things you should care about, to love the people that you should love. Like, I'm not going to spend a lot of energy to convince you that um, this is what we should do. Uh, It's like a Nehemiah attitude. I'm not coming down from the ladder uh, to stop building the wall, to convince you that what I'm doing is right. And just, I'm just, you just keep throwing your rocks and you keep, you know, uh, doing what you're doing, but man, I'm I'm going to serve him. I'm going to do what he's called me to do. I don't really want to spend a lot of time to convince you. If you can't see it in the text, and you may not be reading it, or you're, or or something, there's something going on that's hindering you from seeing it. But I'm I'm just not going to stop doing the mm. work. I, yeah, I don't really have much to add to that, other than just it's that tension is really hard. Like. <laughs> it's hard it's hard to look forward and and hold on to that the hope that like man one day this is not going to happen anymore without also being just totally gutted and yeah. torn up by the fact that it's not here um and and i think i think it's really tempting to just ignore the the current and ignore the present and just say, well, one one day it'll all be better, and and kind of just cling to this like, I'll fly away mentality, um, and and not do what Charles is saying, <laughs> not do the like swing the hammer and 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 work until you, you got sweat on your brow, um, and that's just hard. It's 
we need to do, we need to do it. I, I need to do a better job. Um, and, uh, but, but it's painful. It's painful because you, you, you see what happens in the present moment and you, and you, when, when you really engage and when you really dive in, it's, uh, you, you, you have to be rooted in Jesus and you have to be, you know, leaning on the Holy spirit. Otherwise it's, 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 it's dark. Uh, evil and injustice is dark. And so it, if you're not, <laughs> if you're not rooted in, in Christ and if you're not, you know, leaning on the Holy spirit, then, then it, it can be easy to kind of get overwhelmed by that darkness. So. Yeah. I, I like what, how Matt Chandler puts it. He, he says like, it's one thing to keep looking back and seeing brokenness and injustice, but he's like, it's, it's, this is our time now to respond. Like we're the ones in the game now to respond. Mm -hmm. uh, we can either let it, the game keep happening past us or realize like we're called to pastor, to lead, to preach and teach in the middle of this, in the middle of all this brokenness. And so it's, you know, we're not just reading of other people who've done great things, but we're in the game right now. Mm -hmm. I, I like that because it kind of keeps calling me in of going, you don't get to sit and watch this happen. You actually are in the game. Uh, you, you, you've seen and read of great men of past who've done great things and spoke up and did that. But now it's your turn. You're right now. Let's go. Amen. Amen. You guys got any th other thoughts about, uh, about how we can respond well when these things happen? I would just say if, if, if your response is only when these things happen, then it's always going to be poor. I think if, if, if it's the first time that you respond is when it happens. I don't want to hear you personally. Um, if, if you haven't been doing things um, and, and, and engaging, but if it's just, you know, today, like, all right, you know, you, you, you live next to someone and he's been beating on his wife for years and then he finally kills her. And then you want to go next door and say, yeah, you know, this is wrong. Mm. I don't want to hear you. Like, come on, you've been watching, you've been seeing this, like, what, what have you been doing? You know, uh, very, it's the person who has opportunity to teach in so many places, but they take, you know, they see how, the, how kids are not getting opportunities in a school, in a city school district. And they take the job that pays less in, in saying that I want to make sure kids have a chance who don't versus, uh, pushing my career. That, that is, that is a gospel step to me for, for a Christian teacher. Um, and that's the person I want to talk to. I don't want to talk to the person who, you know, who's upset today. Amen. Amen. Mm. Good word. Proximity. Uh, we're talking about this being part of life, not just something that, uh, not just a response to the news, but, uh, but a kind of gospel life in the world and, and, and pursuit of neighbor and pursuit of justice as part of life. I love that. That is so helpful, Charles. Guys, thank you for joining me in this conversation, joining us here on the Hammer and Quill. Uh, let's let's end our time. Let's end our time in prayer. Let's pray for our region. Let's pray for the Arbery family, the community in Brunswick, Georgia, and for our nation. Um, can I ask one of you guys? Let's just have one of you guys close us in prayer. Would one of you guys be willing to do that? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for. Uh, allowing us this opportunity to kind of freely vent without um, even fully coming to a conclusion in the process. But for us to lean in on you, for us to look to your word for help, for direction, uh, and in relying on your spirit to help us. Father, this is a, 
a mess and we live in a messy world and it is a little ridiculous for us uh, to be the ones to point people in the right direction with, with the mess that we are and the confusion mm-hmm. and the fear um, to do the right thing and um, the anxiety that we face. Lord, thank you for trusting us. Thank you for giving us grace when we get it wrong. Yeah. Lord, we pray uh, for our country right now. Um, I know there are so many people angry. Uh, people are processing in different ways and uh, many are going out for a run today. Uh, many uh, are doing uh, other things. Lord, I pray that we, we can stay away from uh, attitudes and emotions that make us think that what we're doing is far better than our brother or sister who is trying to to engage and lean in. Lord, for those, this may be their first time um, engaging in this conversation. I pray uh, that the, the words that even I spoke today don't frighten them and, and, and scare them from, from engaging. I pray, uh, Lord, that they um, are able to continue to learn and grow. And then for those who um, are tired and, and frustrated with the conversation and, and want to see um, action, uh, Lord, I, I pray, too, that we are guided by your spirit as we think through um, each person that's involved in this. Uh, Lord, we Jesse said clearly um, that there are systems and things in place um, that perpetuate and allow for evils like this to happen. And they are built off the back of uh, racist thoughts and ideas that gives leverage and gives authority and power to one group of people over another. And I pray that you continue to raise up men and women who love you and can go and tear down systems that that marginalize people, that tear down laws um, that gives power to one group over another. I pray that we don't see that as a lesser ministry and that, Lord, that you continue to equip them and give them the wisdom to go in and help. That we don't just uh, trust it to um, people who don't know you to go in, but that we uh, develop and we grow up uh, men and women who trust you and love you, who can serve. Lord, I pray for this family who's going through this in front of everyone. Yeah. Uh, Lord, pain of, of in frustration week after week no answers no justice just a reminder of this great loss alone the humiliation mm. or the tears lord can you comfort them i pray that we as a society doesn't we don't use this as some type of uh, thing but we also remember the people who are involved lord help us all help help our country um, and, and definitely, Lord, help our church, help your church uh, to be the hands and feet, that we aren't quick to take a posture that hurts people, that we are slow with, with silly responses, but that we, that we move forward into engaging and being in proximity with people who don't think like us, don't look like us, don't value the things we value. Lord, help us understand that there is something to be gained in those environments. Um, and let's not think that we're going to catch uh, and become these crazy liberals because we have coffee with someone who sees things different than us. That we will, can be faithful to you and be um, your hands and your feet and be very present with people who look different than us, mm. people who um, are, are in different spaces than we are. Um, Lord, thank you for all the wonderful things you've provided for us. 
and this platform to have this conversation with my brothers and to be a resource for others. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Thank you, Charles Wilson, for joining us for a second time. Impromptu, out of nowhere. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for uh, being part of this conversation. Michael, thanks for joining from beautiful Floyd, Virginia. Charles, from that, I mean, you can, right behind, if you could see this, right behind Charles, he's got, uh, the, the ceiling is like half undone. He's got scaffolding set up in this building in Northwest Roanoke, where they're doing some renovations. We're so excited for what's going on with the Hill Church. Charles, we'll be praying for you on Sunday and beyond. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to The Hammer and Quill, Episode 8, a conversation about how to respond as Christians to racial injustice. Until next time, this time I'm going to say, Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.